0: Welcome to Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payul Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payul lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot In this teaching, Jetsuma Akon Lamo gives us an in-depth understanding of the Buddhist concept of merit and how it works in our lives. Through lucid explanation and example, Jetsuma shows us how meritorious intention and activity can lead us swiftly on the path to Buddhahood.
1: Recently, um, since I've been teaching again on Sundays, we've been talking about accumulating merit and, uh, We've been using terms like creating a stream of merit or building a storehouse of merit. And so due to the fact that we are Americans and living in such a materialistic society, it's pretty difficult to understand what that means because it would seem as though uh, merit is something actually collectible, you know, like dishes or, (laughs) you know, stamps, something like that. And so that leads us to think of merit as something solid, something weighable, and something more permanent than it actually is. And it's hard to understand because unless you can really work at wrapping your mind around it, 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 it it's counterintuitive to the way that we are taught in terms of having or having not in our society. So when we think about uh, merit, how should we think? Uh, On the one hand, we're saying, well, you know, I I would like to mm, travel abroad, let's say. I would like to travel abroad. And, And as a practitioner, you might think, Well, I hope there's merit for that. I hope not only do I have the money, but that I'll have the opportunity and that it will go well and that it will be a good experience and something that is beneficial. So as a practitioner, you would think, um, oh, I hope I have the merit to do that. And and a lot of times you hear hear llamas say that. Uh, Llamas will say, you know, the students will ask, will you come back next year? And the lama will say, if the merit is there. Uh, then indeed I will come. And so then we think of merit as something that's there or not there, and perhaps we think of it as something um, immense or something small or something manageable or something inconceivable. We have all kinds of mm -hmm, proliferating conceptions uh, about what merit actually is. Then we're told, well, during the course of a life, uh, at the end of that life, there will always be death. That is the nature of life, that the start of life brings the end of life. And so at the end of life, there will be death. And we are instructed by lamas and buddhas throughout time uh, that you can't take it with you. And the teaching literally says... That you can't take anything with you greater, even as as small as the size of a sesame seed, which you all know is very small. Um, You can't even take that with you because at the end of one's life, everything corporal dissolves. uh, Layer by layer from the most subtle energies or the, the relatively, I should say, subtle energies to the most, to the grossest body matter. It all dissolves. And so you can't take anything with you. But the caveat that Buddhism is uh, famous for and happily able to deliver is the awareness that, even though we cannot take even one morsel of phenomenal stuff with us, we do continue an experience. Uh, the consciousness is in the bardo state and that bardo state is a direct result of our merit stream and of our karma so so even though it's popular now to try to decide through um, the experience of watching dying people what death is all about you, you really can't do it that way because uh, to watch people that are dying and um, have them come back and report some experience means they weren't dead. (laughs) (laughs) And even if they died on the operating table in the way that we medically understand death, something didn't stop. (laughs) From the point of view uh, of, of subtle bodies or consciousness or however you want to put it, uh it didn't go. Uh, we are taught that uh, there is a gross outer breath that you can measure and put a respirator on, but there is the subtle inner breath which cannot be detect- detected except through extraordinary perception, such as enlightened perception. So obviously that subtle inner breath did not cease, or you wouldn't be able to come back and talk about anything. So nobody knows about death. Nobody really understands what death is all about. And we don't understand, therefore, that in some ways, death is like life. Or the bardo experience after this bardo of life is simply another experience and like this life. It's based on habitual tendencies and our karmic predispositions, and mostly our merit, the stream of merit. That word again, or the storehouse of merit. So two people can die and um, have both lived in the suburbs and had red cars and, uh, you know, had a family and kids and maybe a pool, you know. They can die at about the same time, and and you would think, well, gee, they're Uh, You know, two kind of average Joes, suburban types, or Janes, and you would think that death would be similar for them. Maybe different for a king, or maybe different for a queen, but that is not the case at all. Uh, Just because externally some of the signs of our lives look similar, no one knows what the internal causes and effects are. Nobody Knows what karma ripens. Nobody knows what the, the the thought and perception has come to at a certain point in one's life and what view is being created or what perception is occurring. And so therefore, nobody knows what the superficial stream of merit is like at the time of those two deaths. One could be thinking, I regret this and I regret that. And the other one could be thinking, a time to let it go. Maybe a little grain of renunciation at the end. You know? Um, and then, of course, you don't know what the past lives of these people are. This one might have been a king in the past and used up all of his merit and just had enough left for that red car. And didn't accumulate any during that life. So at the end of that life, bada boom. It is not good. It's bada boom, Bardo.
2: <laughs>
1: and the other one might have uh, might have had a couple of insights and maybe uh, even if he didn't travel the path of dharma might have done some good and come to some realization and, and so maybe there will be some benefit in the bardo but the only way to really assure that is to do that Uh, to accumulate merit in the way that the Buddha has actually instructed that you accumulate merit not accidentally but mindfully and continuously mindfully and you do it in such a way that you are aware of what's happening so that afterwards you dedicate that merit to the liberation and salvation of all sentient beings. In other words, your motivation is good. And that red car, maybe you took people food with it or benefited some people in some way using your wealth or whatever. So those two people obviously will have a completely different experience at the time of death, and that is, that is because of their storehouse or stream of merit. And now let's say that a third person with a red car practiced dharma. Some people that practice dharma can still have red cars me you have a red car Mm. so that dharma person might have approached their life very differently maybe they're not the best dharma practitioner in the world maybe they can't turn cartwheels in puja form but Trying to keep you guys awake,
2: <laughs>
1: but maybe the person practiced some dharma and there was some awareness there, and they said, "Well, you know, at least on on uh, liturgically significant days, I will practice some dharma, and I will keep in mind what my teacher has told me. I may not, I may not really wrestle it down, but." I'll keep it in mind, and I'll I'll try to work with it. Maybe he's not, in other words, an excellent Dharma practitioner. But still another Bardo experience is coming there. Because there is some blessing that is taken forward. Intention and merit are like married. And mindfulness, that's a family. So maybe at that death, there will be Uh, A quicker rebirth, a more auspicious rebirth, uh, perhaps a less traumatic or frightening experience in the bardo. Maybe even sometimes there is a pleasant experience. It can happen. Not often, but it can happen. So you have to think like a practitioner in terms of merit and think ahead. In other words, you want to plan for the long term. Um, When we think that we're doing something clever, like buying a new red car or uh, going abroad, we don't understand that merit's involved in that at all, for the most part. Even if we say to ourselves, "Yeah, I hope I have the merit to do that. It's just an expression. We don't really think that way. We don't really think, for instance, when I buy that red car, how does that affect my merit? And when I buy that red car, shouldn't I cover, shouldn't I think ahead and do something with that red car that brings a blessing to someone? Like maybe when I buy a red car, I say, you know, whatever money I can bargain the dealer down on, I'll give it to the Dharma. We don't think like that, but you should think like that. Because in that way, you're smart. And you're smart in a wisdom sense because you're looking long term. We've always been taught buy red car, ride red car, end a story. But the idea being that everything that one does in one's life, there should be respect for the stream of merit and there should be some thought to continue one's storehouse or stream of merit. Let's say that um, we, under, we find that uh, we're getting sick. We, we have a, There's something going around. Actually, there is something going around. Um, and we find that we're getting sick. The thought would be, I just want to stay in bed. I don't want to get up and do my practice. I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit up. How can I do it in bed? <laughs> Actually, you can (laughs) The Buddhas don't care. As long as you don't point your feet at the altar, they're down with that. But the thought is, you know, I really feel like my body needs this rest. So I'm going to really sink into my wonderfully comfortable bed and not get up. Well, how many times do you think you might turn away from Dharma and sink into your wonderful bed and have it not? make some effect. See, right then you might get a nap. And right then when you wake up after that nap, you might say, Oh, that was a good idea because I feel a little bit better now. But in the long term, what's really happening there? A non choice is still a choice. A choice to allow your practice to slide while you rest your body is understandable. A- and your and your friends who are not Dharma practitioners or your relatives might say, "Rest." Your doctor would say, "Rest." But if you get up and do your practice anyway, there's some understanding, some wisdom involved in that. And what you're saying to yourself is, "You know, I'm in here for the long term. I mean, I'm, you know, hopefully not going to not going to die in the middle of the sickness, you know." So. I'll probably recover from it, and even if I did. That would be a better reason to practice, not a worse reason. But, um, you know, sicknesses come and go. Things come and go. Who taught you that only when you feel good and you really feel like practicing, that that's the time that you should practice? Actually, that's not even that great. Anyone could do that. I mean, everybody, sit, feel most people at least, feel like sitting down in front of a beautiful altar or meditating or, "Hmm," you know, doing something that looks sacred once in a while.
2: (laughs) Once in a while, we
1: all sit on a rock and do something. (coughs) So even the most ordinary thinker can do that, have a beautiful moment in front of an altar or up on a hill somewhere. But the commitment that it takes to get up out of bed, prop yourself up, yeah, you can have as many pillows as you want, and cough through your practice.
2: <laughs>
1: there is virtue in that. There is value in that. And that's when you're really making an offering. When you feel like it and the tide is in and you're all blissful and new agey and happy. When you're like that, sure, it's easy to have a, sacred, a blissful, sacred moment. Anyone can manufacture one of those. But to commit to your practice and to do so for the right reasons, not because you feel like it today, but because you are interested in the welfare of sentient beings. That's the difference. That's the creation of merit. And that's what sustains us. And so, and I I have the experience recently, uh, you know, just having been a little bit sick, I kept my practice every day. And was so happy, no matter what, Uh, and without fail, after every session, I felt better. I felt better, more better, more better, more better. (laughs) I felt better than if I had taken a nap, I believe. And the great thing is, you get to take the nap afterwards. (laughs) So there's nothing wrong with napping. It's just the choice or non-choice of moving away from Dharma to do it. You see what I'm saying? And I'm using this as a metaphor. It's a symbol for other things in life as well. We make non-choices all the time. And again, it's because we think that merit is so thick and solid. We think it's um, material, like this. Like, I have this glass here, and it's full of this stuff, and it's that full. I can mark it, and I can watch it if it goes down. And I'll know it because I'll be the one drinking it. And if I watch it for days, I can still watch it go down because it will evaporate. Well, merit's not like that. Merit is an oddly invisible part of an equation that we have to pay attention to, namely the equation of cause and effect. Uh, Not only are we not taught to deal reasonably and logically and thoughtfully with merit. But really, in a materialistic society, we are barely trained to think in full equations. Like, we are taught, grab something and have it, pretty much. There's no what led to that, what does it lead to, there's none of that. We're not taught to think in, in full equations, And so we run around our lives a little bit ill-equipped and addled, you know, uh, because we don't think things through. And it's it's not that we wouldn't want to if we'd been trained that way. It just simply isn't our habitual tendency. And so we do things that are the definition of neuroses and insanity. I mean nuts. We'll do the same thing. Again and again and again, it always produces the same neurotic, stupid result, and we don't see it. Because we're not taught to think in full equations. And so we bring ourselves suffering. If we have a little wisdom and we're taught to... Think like a practitioner. And, and I'm fortunate. I've had the uh, opportunity to raise kids in the Dharma. Not only my own, but other people's too. And, uh, and they think different. It's not that they're not still kids and they don't still make mistakes. And they don't tr- go through stuff. But they get something different that we're, we're still trying to wrap our mou- minds around. They get cause and effect. Well, you're not doing anything to build your merit, and all you're doing is this non-virtuous stuff. How do you think that's going to work out for you? Oh, yeah, of course, I forgot. You say that to another person who hasn't learned to think that way, and they just don't understand. You hear all this, well, yes, but, well, yeah, but, and, of course, it's because we have no training to think reasonably and responsibly in full equations. So, another thing that we should understand when we're getting ready to argue about all of this, because we like to argue, we like to say, yes, but in my case it's a little different. Tell me that. (laughs) No, it's not. It's like this. Um, There are different layers of... Merit and non-virtue, and when I say stream, in the sense of stream of consciousness and stream of merit, and, or st- even stream of non-virtue, uh, it's because some kinds of merit, um, value, uh, uh, merit's the only word I can think of, virtue or merit, Uh, thin and gossamer thin and gossamer and other kinds of virtue or merit are very thick very robust like a deep vein of gold and from where an ordinary human tries to perceive we don't have the power to perceive how deep that is how deep that vein of merit actually is. And we misjudge all all the time because we have no wisdom and because we weren't trained the way practitioners are trained. I have a wonderful analogy for this that I like to use and um, I hope it doesn't date me too much. Think about this. Think about motor oil On a pond of water okay Um, do you remember back in the 60s when they would do that psychedelic stuff where you would see on the light shows you know uh, God you kids are pretty young aren't you and um you know those light shows where it looks like bleeding colors and water didi didi don't you remember the doors and all that come on you guys (laughs) where have you been Okay, so it's a little bit like that, except we're talking about sort of like, think of um, how oil looks on water. It has like a rainbow, almost translucency. And if you're talking about a small pool of water and the, and the oil is not too thick, you can blow on the oil. And what happens? It spreads out. And depending on what the, the, the scu- yeah, good, thank you. Cool. Thank you. viscosity is depending on the thickness, depending on what the liquid underneath it if it's really just pure water, really depending on the chemical blah 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 it's going to act slightly different, and merit is a little bit like that actually uh, some some body of merit or stream of merit is so gossamer thin. So without uh, uh, depth, that with one breath, you can blow it away and see the dirty water underneath. It's just like right there. That's it. Stream of merit is gone from that place. And since we don't know whether we've got a deep vein of merit or whether we have just that little gossamer thin business, We're not able to judge whether something we do is just going to blow away the merit. It's really simple to do that. Even a non-choice can blow away the merit. And what happens to that merit? Do you notice how, if you can see those psychedelic rainbow colors? They tend to look different and bleed into each other and go into little streams and rivulets. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever watched Oil on Water? Give me a nod. All right. (laughs) (coughs) Try to imagine the little, when you blow, there's a little pink stream, and it separates from the little blue stream in the rainbow, oily mess. And that pink stream is where your consciousness is right now. And it kind of blows way over there. And suddenly, you were over here making a choice or a non choice. And now you're over here and you don't even know it. It's very hard to understand, but something utterly important has changed and we didn't see it happen. Can you relate? Something snuck in, and you can't figure out how you got there. Suddenly your mind has changed. At one point you thought, well, I, I'm all about Dharma. I mean, Dharma is the most powerful force in my life. I, I want to benefit sentient beings. I'm sick of war. I'm sick of this crap where people don't eat and people rape and pillage each other. I mean, I'm sick of it. I want to practice some Dharma. I want to make the world a better place. You're, you're right there. And then, you know, a year down the road, something happens and you make choices or non-choices and suddenly you're there. And you're thinking, you know, Dharma, that was a phase I went through. It's pretty interesting and I think I was still connected, but I really, it's not the main thrust in my life now that I have the red car. (laughs) So it's kind of taken a back seat in the red car. But since we are not, since we are samsaric beings, we don't see what actually happened here. That the stream of merit has moved around quite a bit. And that you yourself have made choices that made your life unfold way, way, way out in white field compared to where you thought you were. See? It's that gossamer and that delicate. And we realize how important our little inner choices are. Choice to practice. Choice to go to class. Choice to follow the teacher's instructions. Choice to keep going in the face of obstacles. Choice to remain passionate about the liberation and salvation of sentient beings. Because that's a choice too. Choice. Or non-choice. Blowing you around... In samsara, without your actually understanding that. And so the teachings tell us that we're like bees in a jar. Boom, ba-da-boom, 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 ba-da-boom. To, to the crack open from bashing their heads against the jar wall. And that's how it happens. Now let's say you have a Llama. Um, And and, and the Lama in the past has practiced for many lifetimes, made really good choices for a long time, like aeons, because that's what it takes, (laughs) for a long time. Um, Or perhaps uh, this is a Lama that was involved in Vajrayana and made good choices in a very condensed way over many less lifetimes, because Vajrayana... Of all kinds of Buddhism, has the power to uh, put us into the state of a bodhisattva, or even into the state of enlightenment, much more quickly, if we practice sincerely. So let's say the Lama made many, many good choices, one after another. Boom, boom, boom. Every time they got a choice, boom. Every time there was a choice between no choice and a good choice, boom. Good choice. And then the Lama practiced. And the practice was good. Practice was solid. Kept it going. Well, now you could blow a fair amount and you wouldn't see the water. You could blow, that doesn't mean you can blow a hurricane. But you have some leeway through this uh, accumulation of merit. But even there, you can't think storehouse of merit means gold in the bank. It's the only gold in the bank, actually. But you can't think of it as gold-gold. You have to think of it as that translucent, rainbow-like oil on water, except this is thicker. You have to, <sighs> I don't have that wind today. You'd have to blow really hard to get to the water if you had oil, say, that thick. But could it be done? Oh, yeah. Sure. Sure. I and mean, then if that lama had attained a certain degree of realization, then the storehouse has actually pushed away the water. Then the oil begins to act differently. It's not that the lama is not in samsara with you. It's just that you're talking about a thick vein of merit. Now you got a little cha-cha room. Now you can dance a little bit. And in conditions like that, and this would, you know, you would want to talk to somebody who's like in the 10th boomy or something. And um, a Lama like that has a little leeway to dance in samsara. They say dancing on the razor edge of samsara for the sake of sentient beings. Meaning that because the habitual tendency is there and the merit is so thick, the mind is different. Everything they do is to benefit sentient beings. Everything they do, no no matter how bizarre that may look, is still coming from that beautiful oil, that stream, that heavy collection, if you will. It's not that it's not fluid. Ultimately, everything's fluid. But it's, and it's not that you can't, you you could plow through it. But there's so much of it there that it's actually dominated the water, dominated samsara. So, I mean, a story that goes around my sangha quite a bit is in my younger days when I could still wear high heels (laughs) before I got to sensible shoes.
2: Um,
1: I used to hang out with my students and we would play and, and the playing was part of the hook. It was part of the hook to get my students to commit to the path because it really wasn't, there was no, there was no, uh, these are pioneers. I mean, at the beginning it was like, boo
2: Buddhist, you
1: know, nobody wanted to even think it. It was so different. You know, nobody I know is Buddhist. And then you know, I remember how it went through, you know, this this it ripped through the sangha that we were going to have to tell our parents we were Buddhist. <laughs> oh my goodness!
2: <laughs>
1: so one of the stories that I like to tell is that when I was hooking some of my students, we used to we would go out and have lunch and knock back a few margaritas and go out dancing, and and then you know, um, I, I used to hang out with Ani Lucia. You can't imagine that, can you? But she, she was a young, young, pretty girl one time, like me. <laughs> like I was. And so I made her buy... A, I thought she was too pursed.
2: <laughs>
1: made her go out and buy all these shoes. I thought, with shoes like this, you've got to open up, girl. <laughs> We had red boots with, hot, with stiletto heels, and we had. I mean, these were works of art. Nobody could wear them. But it was supposed to change one's mind. And so it did. And so she opened up, and pretty soon that little purse became a smile, and after a while she became a Buddhist.
2: <laughs>
1: now, did the Lama lose any merit by having those margaritas and making her buy all those shoes like eight pairs <laughs> it was
2: insane
1: i think she actually gave something back to me <laughs>
2: You
1: can make planters out of shoes like that
2: <laughs>
1: so well, what was that all about i mean if an ordinary person just blew half their paycheck on eight pairs of shoes and did it you know while uh and stopped for lunch and margaritas and that might be a waste of a perfectly good day to practice Dharma. But in that case, people were being hooked onto the path. And so the, in that case, the Lama's uh, storehouse was so deep, it could be relied on to dance on the edge of samsara, enough to hook that lady who is now a nun. And who better be listening? <laughs> So why don't regret even one pair of those nasty stilettos? That was in the days when, uh, when uh, I used to, I was young enough and energetic enough to put on the chicken suit and, and, and come to the costume party with you guys. But now it's pretty straight. I'm up here,
2: too tired to get down, <laughs>
1: can't fit in the shoes anymore, <laughs> you'll have to toss back your own margaritas. <laughs> So, that storehouse of merit can be relied upon to uh, bring benefit. And if one has cultivated that for lifetime after lifetime, then there is something very precious and beautiful there. And this is what the Buddha has taught. But I caution ordinary sentient beings against being that freewheeling. Uh, of course, if you practice every day the mindfulness of proper motivation, and if you really do what you do for benefiting sentient beings, and everything is followed with practice and dedication. You know, uh, we're not, well, we're not Baptists. So you can dance. <laughs> uh, you can have a party. Uh, you can live a life. But the Buddha has taught us that you should live it consciously and well. And so in cultivating this stream of merit, the goal is not to think in immediate terms or temporary terms. The goal is to be mindful of the continuum of one's life, which we learn to deny because we don't want to face the fact that what has a beginning has an end. That's one thing humans don't like to face. Even now, I mean, even as we get older. No, there's no end to this. We're going on and on. Conquer the world. But we have to, we have, to have a mind for our long term, for something of value beyond one moment or one hour or one week or one year or ten years or one lifetime. And so when we decide how we're going to use our energy and how we're going to think in terms of cause and effect, do not limit yourself to the phenomena and the appearance of one lifetime. In fact, in Buddhism, a lot of what we do is in preparation for future lifetimes. Now, In a materialistic society, we get a bit of a bum rap, don't we? We get to think, well, live now. Plan now. Enjoy now. Why should you? You don't know what's happening in your next life, or if there is a next life, so why worry about it? Be free. In samsara, good luck. (laughs) Difficult to be free in samsara. Because in the end, samsara is filled with cause and effect whether you paid attention to it or not. The best things that will happen to us in this lifetime, including meeting with the Dharma, meeting with our teacher, knowing the bliss of actual deep practice, uh, gaining some wisdom through practicing you, these things that are really meaningful, very difficult to do in one lifetime. And we hear about the bliss of Guru Rinpoche, uh, and, and the very display of his senses being like the, uh, uh, the 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 gossamer rainbow of colors of the five primordial Buddhas. We think, I want that. Well, you can't get it at the pancake house. You have to practice for a very long time and actually accomplish the purification of the five senses. Accomplish the wisdom of view. And then the bliss arises. So it's easy to blow around the, a thin layer of oil on top of the water and get good or bad result. And the nature of our minds, uh, our primordial fundamental nature, is a dynamic appearing, dissolving, primordial, primordially empty and then ultimately expressed and full. dynamic reality. So blow or not blow, that water's moving around. That oil's moving around. And then when you blow it, you tip the scales and you don't know. You could nail yourself to the wall in one night. Cause yourself some real harm in three days. On the other hand, it's difficult to create that thick storehouse of merit in one lifetime. So it behooves us to reorient ourselves in terms of our goals. I think of it this way. It's like, it's not like you should withdraw from the appearance of phenomena. You're here. I can prove it. I'll stick a pin in you and you'll yell. You can't pretend you're not here. And it's not like you should act in a certain way because some sort of outward acting will bring a certain result. That's more like appearances. But you should think in terms of inner, outer, and secret. No, outer, inner, and secret. In the same way, short term, midterm, and ultimate term. Because here in phenomena, it's very difficult uh, to do something on an outward, inner, and secret level. But you can start. And you can start by reasoning things through almost in a multidimensional way. That's going to make you put on your thinking cap there, you know, to think that through. So isolate an action. What's it look like on the outside? Okay, not illegal. What's it look like <laughs> on the inside? Eh. <laughs> What's it really look like? Not good. Conversely, look at something on the outside. What's it look like? Well, I offered a flower to an altar. It doesn't look like much. I didn't break an arm doing it. And you look on the inner. Well, inwardly, I tried to make that offering sincere. I didn't just put a flower on it and look to see who's watching, you know, on the altar. I try to be sincere. Ultimately, they say on an ultimate level, that single act can produce a taste of samadhi. But not if you're doing it on the outside, like watch me put a flower on the altar, you know? Or, did you see that? Then Did you catch the picture? You know, not, but to do it outwardly, like respectfully, inwardly, deeply, thoughtfully, mindfully, May this flower represent anything that I have ever attained and all that I will ever accomplish. May I offer this to the three uh, precious jewels for the sake of sentient beings and may this offering bring an end to suffering and mean it. Have a tear. Mean it. Practice meaning it. We're so superficial. Practice meaning it. And Then ultimately, maybe not in this life, maybe in this life, maybe in the bardo, maybe in the next life, there will be that moment, that rich vein will come to join that stream that is your mind. You know, we feel so stuck in our trouble and so stuck in our lives and mostly stuck in our minds and habitual tendencies. And we think that there's no way out, but the Buddha has taught us that there is indeed a way out that to practice the accumulation of virtue and to dispel obstacles by continually doing that in a mindful way, in a meaningful way. One can actually change the mind or the habit that you thought you were stuck in. And it doesn't work if you do it unskillfully like say you're an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic say you've had run-ins with the law say all kinds of stuff has happened in your lifetime and you think I'm basically screwed I have got to watch my mouth basically screwed here in life very difficult to change I have a record, I have this, I have that all this stuff going on and you feel like you're in concrete You feel like there's nowhere to go from here. And I'm saying, this is the very essence of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha said there is an end to suffering. And he gave us the method. In a nutshell, it's overcoming obstacles and non-virtues with the continual practice of merit of accumulating merit. <clears throat> through giving rise to the great bodhicitta, compassion, caring, through practising one's life in such a way that you actually contribute rather than take away from the storehouse of of goodness in the world. The Buddha has taught us that mindfulness, prayers, right action, you know, right uh, intention, these kinds of things, making offerings, we have lists of them, the tens this and the seven that's and the 14 other things. But basically, it's about being mindful, living consciously. Haven't we seen in this country, aren't we seeing in this country, The result of living unconsciously now, this is it, kid. We are reaping the benefits of living unconsciously now. Living with a swagger and living with a my way or the highway attitude and acting like, you know, something, something. Now we're seeing it. Everything that's precious to us, our values, our standing in the world, everything, it's all crumbling. So collectively, we are experiencing that. How do we turn the tide? We don't play. While someone else is swaggering, you don't. You take meaning into your life. While someone else is saying, I'd like to have a war over here, and a war over there, and a war over there, you don't play. Make your life a haven of virtue. You don't want a war? Don't have one in your mind. Start now. Start today. You count. One person can change a little group. A little group can change a big group. And a big group can change the world. And if I didn't believe that with my whole heart, it wouldn't be worth my time to be here cuz i plan on changing the world we haven't been thoughtful collectively as a nation we haven't been kind we haven't taken care of the poor the way we should we can't even take care of our own the way we can the way we should and why is that because our priorities are so messed up They're so materialistic, so stupid, that all we know how to do now is fight and argue. Well, we can stop that collectively, we know, because next month's November. But how do we stop that personally? I know I'm on dangerous territory now. But I'm telling you, we should start a revolution. And we should start it here. We have to get the big picture. We have to have compassion for the suffering of the world. We can't make it all about us anymore. We can't live in our tiny little neurotic reality while everything's going to hell all around us. And that's why I wanted to give that uh, teaching on the accumulation of merit because it's personal now. It's time to understand that our practice matters. And that even if we don't have a a daily practice of any sort, that taking that one moment to offer a flower at the altar, to offer a scarf, to do something, to walk around the stupa and make prayers for the end of war, for the end of hunger, for the end of fanaticism, Of all kinds. Do that every day. Start that. Because you can. I built this so you can. That's how you start. And interestingly, when you start changing your mind, your life starts to change so that you will have the opportunity to change the world in some small fashion. I believe that. The intention of a good heart is supported by the universe. Is supported. And what is the basis of that statement? That's kind of a New Age statement, isn't it? What is the basis of that statement? Merit. The accumulation of merit can change the world. So start in your, my advice is to start small. You want to start in your own life. By accumulating merit all the time and doing it on an outer, inner, and secret level. Through your activities, through your mindfulness, and with your very essence. To do things on just a superficial superficial level without a full realization of producing merit and true cause and effect that goes beyond this lifetime and beyond appearances, to, 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 to look deeper into life and to use that depth in one's practice. This is the instruction that I'm giving. To line up outer, inner, and secret. Your mouth, your heart, and your mind. However you want to put it. To make it true and firm, this is the way to accumulate long-term merit. And to practice accordingly, that is the way to accumulate long-term merit. But not to take that into account, to just go through the motions like so many of us do. It's like a corpse walking. You know? It's like nothing. And what was the result will be nothing. An empty shell. That the moment a stiff breeze comes along, (laughs) goodbye. And uh, we've seen a little bit of that here. Um, I have to admit... When I first got here, things weren't all that great, so I did a little smacking people around. (laughs) In fact, I've done a lot of smacking around. Could be why my shoulder's hurting. (laughs) (laughs) Not literal smacking around, but in the way that llamas do, with an indication or a flash or a really raffle message. (laughs) Or pointing out instruction, you're dead and you don't even know it. Or oh, you're crazy and you don't even see it. Do this now. Well, that's the Lama's kind and gentle way of getting us back on track so that we can line up that outer, inner, and secret thing. So that we can stop walking like the, acting like the walking dead and actually get back into some juicy commitment in our practice and our minds and 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 really uh, open up again to the absolute treasure of a good storehouse of merit, the absolute glory of the bodhicitta, which we had somehow accidentally become dead to. So that's the great deal about having a lama who has a more merit than you. It's not because the lama is saying, hey, I have more merit than you. It's because... Somebody with that kind of merit can just whap, 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 and suddenly you're back on track again. Your your little oil stream, which took you way down there. Somehow you woke up and went, I want to be here. So I'm here now. And that's what's great, is you can do that. Part of the curse of being in a materialistic world is you think once you mess up, you're gone. Messed up. Maybe may be that way if the merit stream is thin, but it may not. And you have a precious jewel in the palm of your hand called your practice, your path, the Dharma, which can change the, your world and ultimately change the world for all of us. And so that's my instruction, my teaching for today. I hope you will. I didn't lose my voice. I hope you will take it to heart. Uh, Certainly this has been, I believe in everything I'm telling you. I know it to be true from my own experience. And I have the great joy of watching other people's life from my perspective. Without doubt what I've told you. I would not tell you differently if you were my own baby, come from my body. This is how you negotiate through your life, not with your eyes closed, but with your heart
2: open.
0: This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A aorg